Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Monsters. How do you define monster? What do you do if you encounter one? Hello and welcome to the 785th uh, broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON. 12.40 a.m. and 99.3 f.m., and this is our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben, and those very questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal and dad, Paul. Uh, today we bring you one of our favorite guests on a subject that doesn't always receive equal treatment, in our opinion. And we welcome your calls today. Number is 401-766-1240 from anywhere. Uh, you can also send emails to paulatbehindtheparanormal.com or message us on Facebook as well. Journalist, investigator, artist, and most recently film producer Linda Godfrey is the author of 18 books on strange creatures, phenomena, and people. As far as she hasn't written a book about us. As a newspaper reporter in Wisconsin in the 1990s, Linda was the first to break the story of the terrifying canine cryptid known as the Beast of Bray Road. She has recorded many <clears throat> other odd happenings across North America and in Britain and Europe. Linda is a frequent guest on national TV and radio shows, including Monster Quest, Seasons 1 and 4, Fox News Red Eye, Lost Tapes, Monsters and Mysteries, Sean Hannity's America, Inside Edition, Coast to Coast AM, Wisconsin Public Radio, Jenny McCarthy Show, and many more. She lives in the Kettle Moraine area of southeastern Wisconsin. She has appeared on our show many times and has an honored place in our 2017 book, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. Linda's new book, coming in July, is I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore. So, Linda, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thanks so much for having me. Nice to be here this Sunday morning with you gentlemen and all your listeners. Oh, well, it's great to have you with us. And uh, I guess we'll kind of get started and just jump right into it. So, <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no, that's what we like to do. We don't, we don't beat around the bush. So, what's the weirdest modern day monster encounter that you have documented? Boy, that is such a tough question because, I mean, they're all weird, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some, you kind of get used to it, you know, like the, the dog man or upright canine. I've received so many of those reports over 27 years that they almost start to seem, I start finding myself referring to them as normal monsters or regular monsters <laughs> as, as opposed to, you know, the, the super irregular ones. And I, I think maybe because it's not an upright canine, it's not a Bigfoot, it's not any of the usual uh, suspects, um, I keep, I, what immediately jumps into my mind is the man bat of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Hmm. Hmm. Like, the, uh, like the, the Batman villain that was man bat. What? Um, sort of, sort of. Let, I, let Linda just... I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, not, it's not Batman. You know, that's that's why I chose to kind of uh, revert the words to man-bat. But this happened in um, 2006 over on the Mississippi River where there are actually lots of weird things. Large, huge, unknown birds are seen and uh, weird animals. I've had lizard man reports. This is along the Mississippi where there are tall bluffs, and it's not like what you would picture any part of Wisconsin looking like. But there were two men, a father and a son, who were heading home about 9.30 one night from a band practice. They're both musicians in La Crosse to their rural home north of, of the city. And they're driving along on this very dark road going up a hill. 
and all of a sudden this giant black thing shows up in their headlights and it's proceeding right for them and they thought it was going to just land right on their just hit their windshield it came that close and when it did get that close they were just terrified because it pretty much blotted out their whole field of vision its wings were um, farther uh, had a longer wing spread than the width of their truck that they were driving and just when it would have hit it emitted this just piercing shriek and went sailing straight up into the sky and then over to some nearby trees and it affected them so much they didn't know whether it was the emotional scare or if there were you know uh, some kind of weird waves emitted or what it was but they both got immediately sick the son who was like in his mid-twenties had to pull over and throw up and the father um, came down with some kind of weird illness that he had for several weeks afterwards and could barely uh, talk or move but it, they said it looked like a furry, not not terribly far from a bat, but more humanoid in the center, and that the wing spread was as wide or wider than the pickup truck, which would have been a pretty big thing. And not only that, for weeks afterwards, um, the father, who goes by the uh, Native American name of Wohali, which ironically means eagle, uh, hmm. called me several several times to say one one that he had been out in his backyard deck smoking and saw what looked like this thing in his backyard and that he um, had been having incidents where something was coming on the front porch and rattling the doorknob and trying to get in and he'd look and the dogs would bark and then there'd be nothing and then it would happen again and the dog would just kind of whimper and go under their whatever furniture they could find so it had lasting repercussions and um, I w another reason it's one of my favorites is I was able to get there um, within the week or so that it happened and really just dig into it go to the place where the where it occurred explore some side avenues that were also said to be very very strange and it just nothing added up but except for these two men's testimony and it was it was nice because there were two of them they both saw the same thing corrobor corroborated one another's um, stories they had nothing to gain by it you know not not by any means but just to think that there's something like that running around. And better yet, I also had two independent reports from other people in that area. A part of the city of La Crosse kind of um, juts out into the Mississippi River, and there's an island called French Island where there's a power plant. And there were a couple of people who lived out on that island who saw something with, they, they described it as like um, silky, um, flowing winged things and they were black in one case it was sitting on the man's children's playset, which is kind of creepy and in another one it was sitting in a tree like watching him so there was quite a bit of activity and just to throw one more log on that pile this was um, three days their sighting was three days before one of the serial drownings that have been occurring in La Crosse for a, a long time since the, the very late 1800s uh, where young men go down to the river unaccountably often they're not often they've ha been drinking too much but um, there's no real reason that they would wade into the river by themselves and are found um, a few days later you know with various, various diagnoses and this this happened just three days so there's been speculation as to whether this was kind of like the um, the the Mothman of of great fame on the other side of the country, where um, 
it was believed to be sort of a harbinger of doom, you know, with the silver bridge collapsing. And in this case, it had happened th only three days, which may have been entirely coincidental. But mm -hmm. when you see when you see a large constellation of events occurring around this one incident, then you start to think that doesn't seem so much like coincidence. How could all of these things be intertwined? Exactly. So, yeah, so I, yeah. I don't know if that sounds weird enough to you to answer your question, but uh, that, that, that'll that'll count. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it's kind of interesting that there are. I was actually I was going to mention, you know, there are, seem to be a lot of parallels with Mothman in there, um, which kind of leads me to the next question, which is what comes first, you know, the the monster or the myth. So in a lot of, you know, ghost and, and UFO cases, we suspect that there's, you know, a, a story that was kind of made up to accommodate the phenomenon. For for example, we did a show a couple weeks ago, which was which was pretty popular, about, you know, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. <laughs> and um, there, was a, there was a lot of fairy activity and, and, you know, lots of other stuff that had been reported over the centuries there. So do you think there's 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 a true... Something something that's that's true in in these cryptic cases that kind of links them all together. Um, I think that's very likely. You know, I always go back to John Keel, the late great John Keel, who spent you know his his lifetime trying to figure these things out, and he called them window areas. You mm. know, where there are places where all kinds of things happen. He said it's like somebody opened a window somewhere mm. and everything got out. <laughs> from that window and I'd say that the La Crosse area is definitely one of those places uh, where it just sort of all seems to be, be happening but your your comment about which came first the myth or the monster um, is almost exactly uh, quoting my, my new book that's coming out in July because that's what I'm exploring and just to give one little example there's um, a very little known dog woman story that has hmm. been told much that I discovered in, in Pennsylvania around uh, Berks County, and this happened. This happened um, to some. Well, there were quite a few high school age students who were going out to um, this place that used to be the site of a, a great big resort that then turned sanitarium. They had a meat locker that opened up into the road for some weird reason, and there's a big meat hook in there. And so legends had grown up around that meat hook in this in this locker, in this stone wall that abutted the, the road past this big old now deserted place. So, of course, when you have some legends about it, that draws people to go out there. And when the people go out there, uh, there were three, three young men who all saw a big canine creature standing on top of that wall, jump down onto the road in front of them. And they, of course, were pretty well scared, <laughs> you know, and so they um, skedaddled out of the place fearing for their lives, and then they found that some people they knew already had had things happen, but had been afraid to tell them before that, and then it grew around the area and ends up where we've got other dogman sightings in different locales, one in Ohio and um, different places, dogman, dogwoman, there was a dogwoman in Mobile, uh, Mobile, Alabama, as well, not too far from that same time frame, and so you wonder if the uh, uh, you know the teen teenagers or people who see it—they aren't all teenagers, right? Just in this one case, are sort of spreading the story, and then other people are more alert to see it and more likely to notice things, or whether it begets more of the energy that allows these creatures to come out and run around. We don't know if now this thing landing on the road in front of them—they heard this huge thump, thump from the legs. 
you know, and it seemed like it was entirely corporeal to them. But you never know. Sometimes things act more phantom-like, and it's so it's just so hard to tell where one starts and the other ends. Well, one question, without being unnecessarily vivid uh, anatomically, uh, how do you tell the difference between a dog man and a dog woman? <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, because they didn't really, I think in this case, see much of anything that would convince them that way. They said it was really well covered with fur. But because the legend that had reached them first was about a dog woman, um, that's what they figured this might be. And it may not have been the case at all. Now, I have had a number of people who were uh, just happened to see and notice that um, th- it was definitely a male they were looking at. So that does sometimes happen. And I have had a couple of sightings where there was uh, what was presumed to be a female because it was followed by two little ones. Um, there, I had an incident like that down in Land Between the Lakes um, by Kentucky, Tennessee, borderline. And that was kind of shocking. So then you start thinking, well, it sounds like there are breeding populations, which is even scarier. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Okay, let's uh, go to a question that came in from a listener. And this is our good friend uh, Peter in Columbia, South America, who contributes many very good questions to the show. Uh, Ben, if you would be so kind. Sure. Uh, uh, Peter says... uh, can you ask? Can you please ask Linda to share any monster cases that involved UFOs? That's a great question. Um, you know, it, it's something that in my last book, Monsters Among Us, I I actually every time I had a good, solid date of occurrence and the area where it occurred, I looked up on the different UFO sites um, that that are um, documenting these things by state and. and and tried to see if there were unknown UFO sightings in the area. And um, I did actually find one doozy, which is in that book, where there was uh, one that occurred uh, several decades ago, only about um, a mile east of O'Hare National Airport, or International Airport, excuse me. And this a man had a, a real face-to-face encounter with a Bigfoot, on those, there are bike and walking trails right along that river there, and he it chased him back to the parking lot. Actually, when I looked it up, there was a really great UFO sighting, maybe a mile or two away from there, about at the same exact time, where two people saw a UFO-like craft flying along the top of a um, electric pole, electric wires, which is something that's often seen with UFOs now. Was it just a coincidence that a UFO and this Bigfoot were seen in this same exact, uh, within a, a mile or two of each other, within a day or so of, of one another? Um, or is it, is it just that there are some, if, if it wasn't just a coincidence, you know, like um, they just happened to be there, well, then we have to start thinking, what is their association? Why would there, why would they be seen together? Um, some people think that these Bigfoot and, and other um, upright creatures are pets of extraterrestrial vis- visitors. That's one theory that's out there. Hmm. Um, no way to corroborate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we've talked about this many times, Linda, on, on the show previously, uh, but as you know, uh, and I think you tend to agree with us to some degree, is the uh, we tend to agree with Keel's approach of, to the, of the window area sort of 
thing. Right. And uh, so, like, we run into things like this where, for example, in the Pennsylvania case, we're in the thick of, uh, you have Bigfoot sightings, including by me, <laughs> could have knocked me over with a feather, and wow. uh, strange lights in the sky, you know, at the same time or close by. And if it's a window area, I mean, theoretically, you'd be able to uh, not necessarily draw a, a relationship between the two. They just both came through the window, as it were, and may, may not necessarily be related. So it's a little, it's a little it's like trying to catch a greased pig. It's a little <laughs> tough to kind of, you know, put your finger on some of this stuff, and, and further research is perhaps required. So, um, although, and, and then I'm thinking of the 1973 case in France uh, that was reported uh, quite uh, widely that uh, witnessed by two people uh, who were um, in the Lover's Lane there in the winter, and I'm sure you know about this case, the UFO land, and it supposedly out gets, you know, your garden variety gray alien, and then Bigfoot, or something that looked like it got out, at least that's how people discuss. So, I mean, if you couldn't make this stuff up, and... Um, I don't know. So when there may be a relationship, uh, perhaps not. Uh, so who knows? Um, one of the things that we wanted to talk with you about, of course, uh, regarding your next book, and you've already mentioned, you've given us some teasers about that. Uh, without giving too much away, can you give us some more cases that you report in the, the book, which is coming out in July, right? Yes, it is. And this one, because it's kind of focused on the relationship between the mythic and folklore and urban legends even, you know, I think that's changing the monster scene a little bit too. Um, because, excuse me, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, because of all of those um, things being put in the same book, it, it ends up seem like seeming like a, a very um, sort of out there compared to some of my other books. If you, <laughs> Where uh, do you see my next one? <laughs> well, and this one, I mean, I went to some places with stories that I probably never would have included in publication before, except they seemed so mythic and so related to, um, you know, both old-time folklore and then getting into the modern ideas of uh, animal cloning and that kind of thing, um, that they're in this one. Um, there's, there's one, for instance, where a man is out walking in uh, a kind of a very modern walking part where the track is rubberized, you know, so that it, there's always a good grip and everything. And he sees these um, beautiful large dogs walking in perfect tandem, except there's no collars, there's nothing linking them, there's no person walking them on a leash, but they're walking as if in lockstep, right next to one another, turning their heads at the same moment, looking here and there, and he's not seeing double, you know, he's he's uh, it, it's it's uh, perfectly clear, and he watches them go by, and then he saw the same thing happen with uh, four humans that were also uh, very, very similar, but there was an extra twist to that one I won't go into, hmm. and he watched them go around the track, and he said he couldn't, couldn't think of anything except cloning, except that doesn't quite explain it, because Cloned animals don't necessarily move in lockstep. They they are individuals. They knew that even back with Dolly the sheep. You know the, that one of those first cloned animals. Um, she didn't, um, you know, seem to have connections that were odd for a sheep to have with another sheep. So it it makes you just really stop and wonder. Um, there's another one who had um, a man claim that he saw a spirit dog come down from somewhere in the sky and impregnate his uh, his own dog and that there were puppies born and he included 
pictures of the puppies. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, ordinarily, I I probably would not have put that in a book because, you know, you're kind of getting into this uh, real iffy place where you're trying to decipher if people were having dreams or visions or, you know, just saw something they couldn't identify or, or what, except it's such a common mythic um, meme or um, theme, whichever you want to call it, to have something come from the sky or from an unusual place and impregnate uh, an earth being of some type and then, you know, these kind of really interesting children are born. Now, the, the puppies look just like ordinary puppies, but they are extremely robust and beautiful looking. I included that that picture in the book. But it, it just, you can think of almost every civilization has these ideas about otherworldly, powerful beings that come here and leave their own line of children, you know, by impregnating somebody or something on, you know, some animal or person on earth. So... That's that's why that's in there. But so it's taking a little bit tack. All the th- all the stories aren't like that though. Um, I've got another category of uh, canines that I'm talking about in this book that hasn't really been properly sep- separated out and recognized on its own. Um, there are. Did you want a specific story or? Yes, that would okay. be fine if if you'd care to share one share one with us. Yeah. Um, there's there's quite quite a variety, and um, I do I don't know if I ever shared the story of Haunchyville with you. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell, Ben. Not that I can remember. Yeah. This is little people. Oh. And we like little people. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sort of a little people. I'm only five foot one. <laughs> oh, there we go. Well, they, we, we've dealt with puckwudgies in the Bridgewater Triangle, so. Uh. Yeah, yeah. Puckwudgie is yeah. my top favorite Native American name for anything. It's <laughs> just, yeah, it's just such a great word. That that and bat squatch are my two top creature uh, handles. But mm. the um, haunchy the haunchies are very like other little tribes of little human people that are found around um, the United States, and often, although there's no proven connection, but I think it makes the most sense. They're found right in the same um, town or area where there had been circus performers having summer homes or winter homes and that uh, may have retired and, and you know wanted a little colony to themselves. This particular one is found by a lake just southwest of Milwaukee and the road is called Mystic Drive. And the tale goes that um, there are very fierce, fierce little people living in small homes that are normally out of view because they were by um, cornfields and that they didn't want any company and that if you tried to venture down the little winding roads that went back to where they were supposed to live, uh, first of all, a big black pickup truck with a man wielding a shotgun would come out and threaten you. And if he, if that didn't do it and he didn't shoot you, well, then, then the little people would come streaming out of the cornfield with hose and shovels, miniature hose and shovels and and try to beat you with those. <laughs> so that that's how that Whoa. goes. That's subtle and, as a ton of bricks. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting because I've got two new letters that I talk about in this book. Cause I wrote about them uh, before for Weird Wisconsin. But I've got two new letters and one completely shoots the whole thing down. The other one gives you a complete new set of witness 
things and sound, makes it sound very plausible. And it just, I, I hate to do it, but it forces readers to do some of the work because you have to sit and think about it for yourself as hmm. to, you know, which which it might be. But I've also heard some interesting things about little people um, from some uh, Native American friends uh, lately, and it totally correlates with an Irish, Scotch-Irish um, creature. But supposedly, um, little people can turn into Bigfoot, and vice versa. They're related. The, the two are related. And I thought that was a very interesting concept. And yeah. there, there is a, a creature, I don't have it right in front of me, it's called the McFoddery or something like that, that is a little person that can turn into a Bigfoot. And interestingly, I have an as-yet-unpublished fantasy book where um, I had found that research, little tidbit of research somewhere, and put it into my book thinking that that was, um, you know, just basically something that was unknown and, and I would never hear of it again. And then it turns out that all of these Native American tribes believe that same thing that the little people are normally small, they keep to themselves, but if you go somewhere, they don't want you to go, then they turn into Bigfoot, and uh, that also explains, uh, and I just, I've had two people, Native American friends, tell me this in the past two weeks. Otherwise, um, they're content to remain small and just dive around, but you're not supposed to bother them. That's the big thing. When you bother yeah, them, yeah. they stop having the big, the Bigfoot troubles, yeah. Well, we're going to take our bottom of the hour break now. Terrific talk this evening, this this evening, this afternoon, depending on where you are, with Linda Godfrey. Uh, we'll be right back. It's WON twelve forty AM and ninety nine three FM, and it's behind the paranormal in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Frank Prizes, and I'm host of It's Your Business Mondays at two PM. We'll explore everything that's involved in business in this community. But you know what? Everything is about business. Tune in on Mondays here on ON Radio. Man, we're back already. It's WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Our terrific guest is Linda Godfrey, our old friend, and uh, always has tremendous research and uh, another great book coming out. Now, before we uh, burn up the hour, Linda, tell us again about the new book, the old books, your website, your blog, where people can find out more. Sure. Um well, I'll start with my website and blog because that's lindagodfrey.com, no WWs or anything. And there you can either um, go to the landing page, the, the first place that you hit, which will give you um, one of my most current posts. There's a little search box. You can look for other things. And then there's an about page where it has my biography, um, my upcoming appearances, a book list. Um, all that stuff is right there. The new book called I Know What I Saw, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore, is named I Know What I Saw because that's what I hear from people. It's it's almost like um, it's a primal response. So many people who confide in others at, that they've seen these things are rebuffed, and it, really there's there's sort of a, um, a rejection complex almost that... People feel afraid to share these things, but when somebody does listen to them, what they're saying, they almost all say, I know what I saw. You can't tell me I didn't see it because I saw it. So that's that's that. And there are lots of other, um, it's got kind of a wide variety of things. I'm also covering um, the great cats, mysteries of the great cats, ancient lore, 
of them in uh, um, in the Americas. Mm. Um, for, for instance, there's the, the wampus cat, which is supposed to be an upright walking female cat. Um, the different tribes have different versions of it, um, different um, different stories about different cats. But the thing is that mountain lions, which were supposed to have been um, completely wiped out of the uh, Midwest by the, oh, 1900, 1910, in that era, are all coming back. There are so many sightings, and I cover one particular area in Wisconsin, uh, not too far from that lacrosse area, in fact, um, where people have seen, by the count of one local reporter there, at least 150 reports. Some of them could be um, multiple reports of the same animal, but at least that many. And the weird thing is not even the, the number. It's that half of those reports, at least, maybe more than half, are describing what most people would call a black panther. Mm-hmm. which They look about like a mountain lion, except they're black. And they're, they're not supposed to exist um, because cougars or pumas or mountain lions, whatever you want to call them, are separated uh, just a little farther on the um, feline relation, family relations tree that they shouldn't really be able to um, re- re- to recreate. Their, uh, excuse me. They shouldn't really be able to re. Um, <laughs> I'm reaching for the same word. You have to excuse me. I have a um, a little nervous thing I'm being treated for right at the moment. And no more peanut butter for breakfast. <laughs> well, actually, it's Parkinson's. Oh dear. So, oh, it's it's okay. I'm I'm being well treated. I'm doing real well. Otherwise, in just about every way, but sometimes I'm I'm looking for a word. So if I'm doing that, it's it's not that I'm have a hangover or anything like that. Well, that's okay. We're we're with you, kid. You're yeah. an old friend, oh. so. Oh, that's okay. No, no problem. So um, anyway, now I t- oh I was talking about the uh, yeah the black panthers. Uh, the black panthers, yeah. yeah. Shouldn't be able um, to reproduce. So, yeah, you you can put a lion and a tiger together and get Napoleon Dynamite's favorite animal, the liger, and I've seen. <laughs> I've seen one, you know, mm. and the, the only thing is they don't come out like a reasonable-looking animal, and they usually can't reproduce when you have things that are a little too far apart on the family tree. Um, that liger that I saw, its head was easily twice the size of, like, an African lion. It was huge, and it wasn't the brightest big cat um, <laughs> On the block, I'll put it that yeah. way. You know, it's kind of maybe, and maybe it's just a, maybe it's really smart inside there, but maybe it just can't move to impress you with its um, quick thoughts. Like the, the other ones, look at you, they stare at you. You can tell that they're looking you over. The tigers are trying to figure out if I could only get through that fence. You know, this one is just kind of lolling around. So um, this is really something that um, irritates a lot of wildlife officials because people are reporting these things and they don't know where to categorize them and they end up telling the people no they saw a house cat and when you have somebody who in full daylight their car stops 10 feet in front of one of these things and they can see that it's um, got you know a four foot four to five or longer foot body plus the tail that's a good two-thirds of the same uh, length as the body it's a huge cat they know what these things look like and um, you just can't disbelieve that many people within this one small area. And to kind of 
add to this chapter, um, I'm actually doing working on a, a first for a project with me. I've been in lots and lots and lots of documentaries about the Beast of Bray Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned this mountain cat um, idea to some producers, and they didn't want to do it. They weren't interested for some reason. So um, my husband and I formed our own little production company, White Lhasa Studios, mm-hmm. and we happen to have a son who is a very gifted filmmaker, and we're making our own movie on it to go along with that chapter. Outstanding. Mm, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah when I just do that. Yeah, I've yeah. heard When in doubt, just do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you can go to, uh, to we have a, um, a trailer up on YouTube. And if you just go to YouTube and do a search for Return to, uh, Return to Wildcat Mountain, and that's a real place in we'll, this we'll area. We'll put a link to that on our uh, oh, talking points. But, yeah, excellent. Uh, we have a question from a listener. This is uh, Richard in San Francisco uh, who asks some good questions. We've already begun to talk, uh, I think, a little bit about this, but perhaps we can proceed. Sure. So uh, Richard writes to us, Is there an association uh, with monster sightings in flap areas? I'm wondering if they could be uh, cross-dimensional beings. Yeah, well, we, yeah, that's that's the thing. Um so, Linda, you know, we, we tend to agree on this, but go ahead. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I really think that it's hard to account for all the things witnesses have seen, often with multiple witnesses on the same case, um, that show these things doing um, just irregular forms of behavior that you wouldn't expect. And even, as I was joking about the normal creatures, those upright wolf-like canines that so many people see running alongside the road, um, they even do things that freak people out that say would never happen with a normal, regular creature. For instance, they will make eye contact with the witness, even if the witness is sitting in the car, and they'll say, I felt it was jeering or sneering at me, and then I got this feeling it was telling me, not in words, but I could clearly see it, that if it wanted to it could jump on my car, mm-hmm. that it was better than me, that if it wanted to, it could do this or that. And then we do have people who um, feel that they're being chased, or they know they're being chased, and then they feel they're about to be pounced upon any second. And lots sometimes they'll, they'll cry out to God to save them. Other times it's just they'll turn around expecting to see the thing with its mouth wide open and fangs dripping to you know, take them down, and it's just gone. Mm-hmm. And there may be footprints, but the body itself is just gone. But um, what I like to think is that, and this is just pure layman speculati- speculation, I'm not a scientist, but we know that so many other things we perceive are a gradient. They're not. We don't have just black and just white. We've got shades of gray. We've got... Um, in the sound world, you know, you've got infrasound and ultrasound on opposite ends of the, the spectrum, but there isn't just super loud sound or no sound. We hear all things in between. So when we're perceiving creatures with um, the, with our with our eyes and our brains, um, it may be that these creatures are at a different point in the. Um, and there's no real word, no real word for this that I can think of. But just um, everybody knows that we're we're conglomerations of atoms and electrons and you know very tiny particles. And many people think that um, 
the denser the particle, of course, that that it's going to get um, very excuse me <laughs> that it's going to get um, very much different on one end than it is on the other end. And I'm talking maybe I'm trying to be too difficult to talk about it's something that you can no, just think it's a, another realm you know mm-hmm. let's say there's another realm where the atoms of whatever lives there are much farther apart than the atoms of what live on earth here and just because we don't normally see them doesn't mean they're not there mm-hmm. and again you go to any world civilizations um, religious myths or whatever and you have this idea that there are creatures someplace else that can sometimes appear to us. Sometimes they seem really, really solid. In the Bible, for instance, there were um, angels that came to visit, but people couldn't tell because they looked like men and they ate, sat down and ate a sandwich with their hosts, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yet they can still show that there's some other type of creature. So I, I feel that quote-unquote reality is more like a gradient from very solid to um, who knows how unsolid it can be and, and still be considered an entity or um, observed by somebody. Yeah, no, I, I certainly agree. Uh, we have an additional comment from Richard in San Francisco who wrote the question, and he says, God bless Linda for her bravery in tackling this subject. She is rock solid. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That's wonderful. <laughs> That's nice. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, so, uh, on the, the issue of sound uh, that you brought up, Linda, and maybe Ben could get in on this because that's his, um, his training. Vocalizations, um, among the sightings that you are reported to you or, or experiences you, you yourself may have had, how many involve vocalizations? Well, <coughs> excuse me, whether understandable or, or not. Well, uh, when it comes to the upright canines, I've had a number of people re- report to me that they have um, heard it making a weird noise, not like a howling. I mean, you talk about the upper canines, it goes to the thought of werewolf, and then people are trying to um, put howlings together with that. And really, um, I haven't been able to corroborate that in 27 years, but there have been a number of people who have said that they either directly saw the animal making this sound, or they heard it and then it came out of the brush, something like that, where when they try to demonstrate it for me, it reminds me of an old cappuccino maker where it goes from very low to very high, you know, like the motor is grinding and it's kind of like, rah, 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 that sort of mm, thing. Mm-hmm. Only I've you had, do that uh, very well. <laughs> I've, I've had different people um, try to demonstrate that for me. and um, Tall men seem to be able to get it most. I think they have the proper size of windpipe for it to work. But Bigfoot is also something, I mean, a lot of people think that Bigfoot has a language that may perhaps be spoken at a higher um, frequency than we can hear it usually, and that they sort of fast, they're sort of like fast talkers. They can uh, go, and people will uh, describe this to me as, hamana, 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 hamana. That's a very common repetition that I hear from people that have never, and they also are reputed to, imitate humans and I've got my own little story I can tell which is that um, you noted in the very in my introduction that I live in the area of the Kettle Moraine and um, until a couple of years ago my husband lived and I lived for 30 years on exactly the edge of some of these very deep deep 
openings into the earth that are called kettles that were left by the last glacier. You, there, it's a straight drop down. And we had a lot of experiences after a while living there because it was a perfect place for deer to go through um, lots of reasons. And there was one time when um, I was looking for my husband and I wanted to tell him dinner was ready. And he was out there, um, I thought he was out in the backyard somewhere. And for some reason we had this octagonal deck that hung out over the, the kettle and there was no way he was going to be out down in that kettle for any reason, but I felt impelled to walk out there anyway and yelled for him. And from somewhere down there in the thick vegetation and brambles where people don't go, I heard this deep, deep voice that I describe as the bass on, remember Sha Na Na, the 50s? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, they had the deep, deep ba- bass voice, and I heard something in that voice go, Oh, hello, hello. Hmm. Just like hmm. that. Yeah. And I thought about it, and I realized I had another neighbor who lived a ways down on the kettle that they could, who was outdoor talking, uh, outdoors talking on her phone almost all the time. And when she answered her phone, she, she, was, she was also kind of a fast talker, but she would go, Oh, hello, hello. And this thing was imitating that, whatever it was. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, ben, do you have any thoughts on sound? Because I wanted to mention some other things in Pennsylvania. I think it's interesting that um, I'd, I'd want to know. I feel like there's a lot about the anatomy that we don't know. Yes. Especially if, if like they have different vocal cords and they'd be able to like make these sounds. Because if you look at you know regular animals that are running around, I mean they can kind of mimic human sounds a little bit. Like, um, you know, like, dogs can sometimes do that. But I feel like the anatomical structure would have to be different in in that case. Hmm. Well, I'm thinking, too, that uh, with with what uh, Linda brought up about Bigfoot imitating, uh, in our Pennsylvania case, uh, we have interviewed tens of people, uh, all of whom have had (coughs) experiences with strange lights and Bigfoot. Mm. And uh, other things that, that may be certainly canine cryptids or, or Bigfoot-like creatures. They've been described as imitating chickens um, and imitating other forms of life, uh, not too good at imitating human speech, but um, that has come up. So uh, I, I just think that, that that's, that's a real parallel with our own findings uh, on that, Linda. Um, so in, in the, the issue of um, uh, one thing that came up earlier, the... Uh, Ethnic variations, if you want to call it, do you find that, say, uh, as we find that, that Irish people will, will report banshees, uh, or I mean, is, is that a, some sort of separate creature or, or uh, some sort of um, perhaps an ethnic um, overlay vision that's sort of placed upon the experience? Uh, when it comes to the, the creatures you receive reports about, do you find ethnic variations? Um. You mean different? So in different parts of the country, they're seeing similar things. Well, there's there's one um, kind of interesting one with it seems to be an ethnic variation of the upright canines that people call the bear wolf. Okay. And this is not something I coined, and it was known before the Beast of Bray Road. But um, there's a little town called Wausau, kind of near the very center of Wisconsin, in a, very, in a wooded area. There's lots of good hunting around there, and it. People who um, haunted out in the woods on a certain side of town started calling the 
road that led out to that town, Bear Wolf Road. And it's because they would encounter creatures that were standing up that looked like bears and wolves at the same time. They would have a wolf-like head with that longer snout and a much more massive um, upper body and thighs and that they could sometimes run around on their hind legs. And as I map this, um, and I really love to map things. It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> you said, yeah. And when I mapped this, I discovered there was kind of a large circular area. Maybe the hub of the circle was halfway between um, the northern Kettle Moraine unit and Green Bay and Wausau. So it's a pretty large area because I've had reportings of the same thing. And in fact, one of the most famous um, man-wolf sightings was, uh, I call it the bear wolf, because it was in the northern unit of the uh, Kettle Marine. There's a very high hill called Holy Hill where there's a beautiful Catholic shrine with towers, twin towers, that are lighted up at night. And it's very hilly, very, very different terrain, has um, legends of a goat man and all that kind of thing. So it's it's got it's rich in um, all kinds of animal phenomena associations. And this man who, I'm, he's been on several documentaries, Stephen Krieger is his name, or excuse me, Kruger. Uh, Stephen Kruger is his name. And he was working as a contractor for the state DNR picking up deer carcasses around the roads. It was um, in 2006, I believe, and he came across a carcass that he didn't have on his list, but he went to pick it up anyway. It was a small one, and he had these aluminum rat ramps that he used to kind of shove heavier deer up onto the pickup truck bed, but it was light enough that, and this guy's maybe, he's like 6'2", a very big guy. He was able just to kind of hoist that um, carcass up there himself, and he's sitting um, right near the entrance to the Holy Hill Shrine on a curvy bit of road, all of his lights on, because otherwise it would be pitch black. So he had lights on the trailer bed, he had lights, um, you know, uh, over inside the um, the trailer. He had the outdoor outdoor lights, so it was very well lit. And he said he's sitting there writing, and all of a sudden he feels this big kawump, something pushed down on the back of the trailer. And he's thinking, what? You know, there's no wind. What could have done that? And he looks in the great big side view mirrors on his truck and sees this creature that he said its head was just like a German shepherd or a wolf, but it had these massive shoulder-like appendages and its arm was extended with what looked like more of a paw with claws than what you, more, more like a hand with claws than, than a paw. And he, it was reaching for that deer he had just thrown in there. And he kind of did a double take and looked again and he was panicking because he's an outdoorsman. In fact, after this, he um, published his own outdoors magazine. He's an outdoorsman, and he knows animals. And he said he couldn't tell what this thing was, except it was huge, and it was taking this deer off his truck. And he said without thinking, he just stuck his foot on the accelerator, zoomed away, drove about two miles in the dark, and then sat there thinking, um, wait, my alum he heard two noises, and he knew what they were. One of them was the deer carcass, falling off and hitting the ground. The other one was one of his aluminum ramps falling off and hitting the ground. And he needed those ramps to do his work. So he carefully went back. There was no sign of the creature, no sign of the carcass. 
no sign of the ramp. Now, what would take an aluminum trailer ramp? Hmm. Just one. Just one. It wouldn't do much good. So um, he went and reported this, being the good citizen that he, that he is, and he's just a real upstanding guy, you know, just straight, straight out. It's hard to imagine him. Um, it, why would anybody make this up? He felt that this thing was a possible danger to the homeowners in the area and that he should let them know what it was. So he went, when he began to describe it, the, um, the sergeant who was taking his uh, report wrote down Yeti. And so the newspapers the next day producing the police reports found Yeti discovered in uh, Holy Hill area. And, of course, it was fun of. But um, he was in quite a few documentaries, as I said, and it's if you see one of them, it's very difficult to not to believe him. And um, that that's been really reprinted. I still get questions about that. Well, maybe a question for the next show because we're running out of time. But uh, and this uh, would be in honor of our uh, casting producer, who is uh, a also a, a scientist. Um, she keeps our feet on the ground. How do you even begin to verify these stories? You know, for example, when I was in England in 1989, chasing the uh, the beast of Exmoor, uh, dramatically named. You know, there were tracks and sheep kills that had obviously been uh, carried out by a, a large cat, at least fr- from the nature of, of uh, how the meat was was eaten. Um, but I mean, w- with with things like, um, I mean, the the guy did not, unfortunately, apparently have a backup camera that could have caught hairy legs or something, you know, stealing the ramps and stuff off the truck. I mean, um, again, how do you even begin to verify some of these things? And we, we have about a minute. Right. Well, of course, the ideal is like with the man bat or um, this one with Stephen Kruger, for instance. I was able just to go there and be there within a few days and then um, be part of the search for footprints and that kind of thing. But when it's just people talking to you, um, I try to, if I'm close enough, I'll go meet them in person. Some I meet more than once. The beauty of this day and age is that we have the Internet to look up any old thing they tell us. So we can look for discrepancies that way. Um, and then I kind of, over 10 years at the newspaper, developed my spidey senses mm-hmm. of red flags going up and, oh, this one, that doesn't look like yep, it. Me too. <laughs> you yep. know, and so it's kind of a blend of techniques, whatever is available to me. And uh, m- most, I'd say very, very seldom does somebody come up as trying to pull one over. But there are those people out there, and I'm always watching. Very good. Okay, Linda, t- thank you so much for being with us. It's always so wonderful to have you, and we'll be in touch off the air. Sounds great. Thank you. Great, and good luck. And give us the, the title of the of the book that's coming out in July. Just Again, so people will know. I Know What I Saw by Linda S. Godfrey, Modern Day Encounters with Monsters of New Urban Legend and Ancient Lore. And you can go and watch the trailer for the film. Um, where You have a link up, right? Uh, so. We will have a link up uh, this afternoon. Yes, Great. and that's that's return to Wildcat Mountain. Outstanding. Thank you so much. We'll talk yeah, to you thanks, soon. Thanks, Linda. Thanks okay, to you, too. Okay. So, announcements. Uh, my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeists, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, and God, is now available for pre-order on Amazon.com. It'll be out about a month after Linda's new book will be out. Uh, that'll be in August, official release date, August 28th. Uh, the book should be in stores then, and the official release event will take place with our good friends at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire, on Saturday, September 21st, beginning at 2 p.m., and we'll provide more information as the date approaches.
So for any strange friends or family whose tastes run to the weird and unexplained, uh, try giving them autographed copies of our books. Uh, our latest titles include Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You've Never Heard of. Uh, they're available from online retailers and in some stores, but for autographed copies, please visit our online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. And our next appearance will be on the 23rd of April at 1 p.m., uh, and that'll be at the uh, Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut for a presentation. It's open to the public, and it is a wonderful, wonderful venue with a bunch of great people. Uh, don't let the uh, senior in there fool you. And after that comes the X-Filers United uh, 2019 convention set for April 26th through the 28th at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island. Uh, this event covers all areas of the paranormal, including UFOs, uh, ghost phenomena, cryptids, and more. Along with us, uh, speakers will include our popular guest co-host, Shane Searway, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff, uh, UFO researcher and experiencer Mike Stevens, along with uh, America's youngest recognized cryptid expert Colin Schneider, um, famous medium Gary McKinstry, uh, author Susan Brunel, UFO experiencer Tom Reed, and a number of other great names. And uh, we'll give you more details as they firm up. The website is X-file, or sorry, x-filersunited.com. And events uh, later this year will include uh, appearances at the Nashua, New Hampshire Public Library in August, Book Lovers Gourmet in Webster, Massachusetts, and, and that's in September, along with the Exeter UFO Festival and the Greater New England UFO Conference as well. Uh, also in the works is a third book we're writing together, and this one will be the subject on the subject of UFOs, Beyond the Assumptions. Uh, check our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find uh, more about the show, our cases over the years, appearances, and you'll find over 800 free recorded shows from our 10-plus years on the air, including our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Also at BehindTheParanormal.com, there are links to several charities we have adopted on the show, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, uh, uh, Youth Mentoring Connection, which is YMC in Los Angeles, and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation in, uh, of America. Okay. So, Ben, what's uh, cooking for next week? Oh, well, uh, that will be uh, the end of the month, which is March 31st, here on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. Uh, South Carolina psychotherapist Paul J. Leslie returns to the show on the surprising sub- subject of parallels between traditional Southern uh, hoodoo and modern psychotherapy. Uh, so get your questions in via Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com, our, our uh, Facebook page, and uh, you can also call during the show, 401-766-1240. I should stress that that's not voodoo, it's it's hoodoo, it's more of a folk medicine kind of thing, and voodoo is something entirely different, so, oh, yeah. so th- that's essentially the subject. I've had a few strange encounters with voodoo. Anyway, uh, we leave you this afternoon with another astounding thought from the 13th century Persian poet and theologian Rumi, I love this guy. You are not a drop in the ocean. You are an entire ocean in a drop. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.